0: Amen. Thank you, Judy. I have heard through the years, a lot of God's people say, I just want to be a better Christian. And, of course, when I hear that, a lot of things go through my mind. On the one hand, uh, it's not performance-based. Jesus took care of that at the cross. Um, which is a blessing to know that no matter how hard I work, I can't work hard enough to fully please him. That's what salvation's all about, what he's accomplished. I remember one time, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, I just happened to be listening to R.C. Sproul on the radio when I was in the car, and he made a point I really haven't given a lot of thought to. It talked about Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. And anyway, he was talking about the aspect we always think of. Jesus has come to forgive our sins. And it's true. We are forgiven of sin. But it doesn't stop there. Not only does he forgive us our sins so that there is not sin that is counted against us in God's presence. But he has given us his righteousness. And that's when God looks at us. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Christ. That's just beyond description comprehension. That's our position in Christ. And I believe when we're, you know, people say I want to be a better Christian, they're not ultimately talking about their position in Christ, their hope of getting to heaven, but they're talking about the practice of daily life. The idea is when somebody sees me, I want Jesus to be leaking out of me. And so that they see Jesus in my life. It says first John 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So, so that's the heart. We're going to look at the quality, though, I believe that is so essential to that kind of walk. And it's humility. How the message, humility, seeing things from above. And for a scripture reading, we're going to kind of be all over the place. But uh, for our reading, we're going to have 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. So I'm going to ask when you find that, if you'll stand in God's honor. As I read aloud the text, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that when we humble ourselves, you lift us up, Lord. Because it's in humility that we see above. And so I just pray tonight as we take time and look at this important quality to be developed in our lives if we want others to really see Jesus. Father, speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here's a quote from F.B. Meyer. He says, I used to think God's gifts were on shelves one above another and the taller we grow, the easier we can reach them. (laughs) Now I find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath another and the lower we stoop, the more we get. You see, God's principle of being strong requires us to be weak, of advancing up requires us to stoop Uh, you know when we're young often we think I just want to find that perfect person you know that soulmate that person who's so attractive and so together and and just everything I need and I want but the truth is if we look at it from God's point of view the object in order to um, come together with a soulmate is to be the person that she needs, the person that he needs. It's not ultimately about me scoping out the land and finding that perfect person, but it's about my heart stooping in God's grace so that I can be the man that she needs. That's really God's plan. And so often, what happens and why marriages don't make it and why relationships break down is because everybody wants to be on top, nobody wants to serve. There's a lack of humility. And you could say the same thing in a job. Well, I'm just looking for that perfect job where people can see just how gifted I am and how I can do this job and how I deserve this promotion or or I deserve this position. That's not God's way. God's way is to say that what can I contribute to produce a product worth making or a service worth receiving, someone receiving? That's really the goal, to, to work for something bigger than me rather than just what I can get out of it. There's power and strength that is in humility. You see, it comes not inward, but it flows out of us. That uh, It's the kind of love that is willing to do what is required for the best of the other person, even if it costs us, even if there's sacrifice that's involved for us. You know, the old saying, all of us want to be Indian chiefs. No one wants to be the brave or the squaw or the papoose. You know, everybody wants to be on top. One of the words in the New Testament in the Greek translated humility is a word that literally means to level a mountain or a hill. The idea is that humble people are those who have no heels sticking up. That is the picture. It, there's not an arrogance, there's not an elevation of self, but there's a willingness to give, to be a servant. Jesus said, this is in Luke 14, 7 through 11, he told the Jews that when they were invited to special dinners, not to assume they were take the seats of prominence, but look for the seats for the least important people. That was a sign of, in his kingdom, of those... Who were special and who were prominent. Now turn me to Luke chapter 3. In Luke 3 we read about. John the Baptist and God's call for him. To prepare the way. Uh, Verse 4 it says. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now, notice this scripture. We see the humility necessary for John the Baptist. Maybe you've never thought of it this way, but here's the word that is translated humility often in the uh, the Greek. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. So a picture there is that the servant of God would make himself low so that Jesus could be seen and not him. He prepared the way so that the view of the one who is above might be seen instead of him, the messenger. Uh, that was his mission. That was his calling to live in such a way. Um When the Lord appeared to Zechariah to announce the coming birth of John the Baptist. uh, Back a couple of chapters in Luke chapter 1. And in verse 17. We read. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It could literally be translated in the original language here. Turn hearts of fathers to children that they may have simple hearts. That of a child who trusts the father, who trusts the parent wholly. (laughs) Understanding that he needs the, the father and that the father loves him. And that He can place His complete trust in Him. That spirit of humility as a submissive child of of trusting God and having a respect for the Heavenly Father. That, that's what God is looking for um, among His people. I, I believe that that is a church of grown-ups in the faith. You know, we talk about mature Christians. Too often we're, you know, immature But to be grown-ups in the faith, it requires this sense of humility, this this trait of of being willing to stoop in order to let Jesus be seen among us. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 18, 3 and 4. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So it's this description of being willing to trust, being willing to be small. Now, uh, next here, sign of humility is a true conviction of sin. Humility allows us to see God as He is and ourselves as we are, really are. That is a sign of humility. Um, It's our lowest state before God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, in his commentary on the Beatitudes, that verse that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's what he wrote. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As I've already indicated, it's not surprising that this is the first in the Beatitudes because obviously, as I think we'll see, it's the key to all that follows. There is beyond any question a very definite order in the Beatitudes. Our Lord does not place them in their respective positions haphazardly or accidentally. There is what we may describe as a spiritual, logical sequence. This of necessity is the one which must come at the beginning for the good reason there's no entry into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God apart from it. There's no one in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit, It's the fundamental characteristic of the Christian and of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And all the other characteristics are, in a sense, the results of this one. As we go on to expound it, we shall see that it really means an emptying, while the others are a manifestation of a fullness. We cannot be filled until we are first empty. There are always these two sides to the gospel. There's a a pulling down and there's a raising up. Romans 12, verse 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith God has given you. God calls us to have a right estimation and a right assessment of ourselves. And what does that come from? It comes from getting a clear view of God and then a clear view of where we are. That we are in desperate need. We are poor in spirit. Man, we're bankrupt spiritually. And we need grace. And we need forgiveness. And we need His help. And we need His spirit. And we need His guidance. And then when we're able to receive that. And and to walk in that. God doesn't work through us. You see, if you're truly humbled. You're constantly amazed. That God loves you. He's gracious to you. Because He doesn't have to be. I'll never forget. Years ago, I heard a. Mark Lowry, remember him, the comedian. And he was talking about he was in college. And Mark said that he would sometimes do these weekend where he'd go sing at a church and, and they'd take up love offerings. He said he went to this one church. and He said, you yeah, know, nice church. And seemed to be a good crowd. And he went up there and he said everything seemed to go great. Wonderful spirit in the place. He said, but there was no mention of a love offering. And there was no money offered to him he said he got in his car and he started to head back to college and he started grumbling before God. Dear Lord, you know I am your servant. And Lord, you know that I'm willing to follow you wherever you lead. And Lord, you led me to this church to serve you. And you know, Master, that I am faithful. And you know that this car needs gas to run. And you know that this stomach needs food to eat. And you know that this student has to have money to live. Lord, I just don't deserve this. He said he grumbled for a while and then he got quiet and he felt the prompting of God in his heart. And the prompting of God said to him, Mark, what you really deserve, my child, is hell. He said, thank you, Lord, thank you. Isn't it wonderful that God, though, doesn't give us what we deserve, He gives us what we need. That's grace. That's grace. And as we accurately humble ourselves before God and see Him, we think, man, He loves me. It, you just can't get over it. It's just amazing. In Luke seventeen ten, Jesus taught, I am an unworthy servant of the Lord. I am only doing what it is my duty to do. Listen to this quote from Thomas Kempis. And when he hath done all that is to be done, so far as he knoweth, let him think that he hath done nothing. Luke, I mean, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you you did not? (laughs) I I love it. uh, Where it says in the book of James, I think it's uh, 17 or 18. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God loves us, and we can count on Him. And the good that we have, it's a gift from Him. Uh, we we see that. It frees us um, to, to live in that love. Uh, you know, there's a tension that we battle with between what we are and remembering what we were. And, you know, we... It's easy to beat ourselves up for what we were, and it's easy for us to get uh, complacent with where we are. And so there's this tension that goes on. But there should be a confidence that where we were was without hope, that Jesus came and he saved us, (laughs) and he gave us a new start, and he gave us a new hope, and he gave us a new life. And it's through that understanding that we're able not to just you know, sit on the premises, but stand on the promises, and and to move in His power, and and, and to do His work, and and to serve Him. Um, that uh, to be humble, and and, and yet to uh, to have a sense of satisfaction in what He's provided us because He loves us. Um, you know, there has to come that recognition to be a Christian. First, well, you can't know you're, you can't get saved till you know you're not saved. You don't seek forgiveness till you know you've done something that needs to be forgiven. It's not enough to be a good person. We, uh, I keep talking about it, it seems like, but Alan and I Thursday night went to see that movie Irreplaceable that was on the family, and uh, it was a it was a great movie. I hope sometime if it comes out, maybe we can show it here at the church because I think it's really worthwhile. And what happened is this guy he, from New Zealand. He actually traveled around and he wanted to find out what has happened to the family. What has happened to our culture? And so he went and he asked all these people and he started out the first half of the documentary. He said, I went to find people by position, you know, the the experts, to talk to them about the state of our culture and the state of the family in the United States. But he said, the second part of this documentary, I realized... I don't need to talk to people of position. I need to hear people's personal stories. And so he listened to these different people. And there there was this one man. Uh, he, he said, this guy's like a saint. You know, he was an elderly man. And it showed him just dealing with all these people that were hurting and nursing homes and different things and just very compassionate. And so he came up to him and he said, uh, he said, man, why? He, he, he talked to him. He said, what makes you... So, so loving, so good. And he said, well, it's rather easy. He said, I've done so many bad things that you just work it backwards. (laughs) And then he began to talk about how, you know, he cheated on his wife. And she could have left him and, and just said, forget you, you know, and get out of the marriage. She had every right, but she stuck by him. And then he had a tear in his eye. And he said, I want to spend the rest of my days proving to her that I love her. You know, that's the kind of humility we're talking about. Not that we're perfect people. Matter of fact, he closed uh, this whole documentary. He said, you know, the goal is not to become a perfect family. The goal is a redeemed family. And that's what it's about. It's not about impressing one another. It's about being redeemed. It's about the fact that God has given us Hope. He's erased our sins and he's replaced it with his righteousness, his goodness. And and you know it was interesting. He came to the end of the thing. You know, this question that went through the whole documentary was, "What's wrong with the family?" And and he came and he was looking at the famous portrait of the prodigal son. And I can't remember the artist's name now, but uh, there's this portrait and the prodigal son's there and uh, bowing in the presence of his dad and and his dad's receiving him and welcoming him. And as he stood there, he said, "I realize." I have all this hurt. He said, I have all this hurt because of sins my dad committed in the family that hurt my family. But as I sat there and I thought about all that hurt and all that occurred in my story, in my life, he said, I realized the problem with the family is me. Essentially, what he was saying is, uh, man, we need God. We're all messed up. Humility is not beating yourself up. It's understanding that God came and died for you. Um, D.L. Moody was once walking the streets of Chicago and he saw a drunk sleeping in a doorway and he said to his friend, there except for the grace of God go I. The point is not that, you know, I don't want to start saying, you'd never see me do that. By the grace of God, thankfully, I'm not there. I don't want to start telling you where I will never be, because if not for his grace, who knows where I would be? (laughs) Who knows where any of us would be? Martin Luther, uh, you know, the Protestant reformer, God began working in his life and, and, you know, in, in sharing the gospel, and there was an awakening where before people felt like, you know, the idea was to follow these rules to please God, and then as he read in Romans one seventeen, the just shall live by faith. And, you know, began to study faith and realized it's not about how good we are, but about receiving God's goodness, his gift, salvation. And and anyway, God's doing this incredible work and you know there was this group of people that they instead of calling themselves Christians, they started calling themselves Lutherans. And it really upset Martin and he said, Guys, he said, as God's people, I don't want you to take my name. I said I'm no better than a bag of worms. <laughs> he said, "Don't call yourself a loser. Be a little Christ Christians. You know that that that's the picture of what God's up to." Um. The idea, though, like I said, it's not. Some people have the idea of the humility, you know, meekness. Is this idea of you know I'm going to be a doormat? I'm going to let people take advantage of me or run over the top of me. That's not it at all. Humility, seeing God correctly, loving other people. But it's also doing what's right. Living in the righteousness of Christ. Um, Tozer wrote it like this. He said, I've met two classes of Christians. The proud who imagine they're humble and the humble who are afraid to be proud. (laughs) There should be a third class, the self-forgetful, who leave the whole things in the hands of Christ and refuse to waste any time. Trying to make themselves good and humble. They'll reach the goal far ahead of the rest of us. Frank Crane wrote, Humility, it's the wish to be great and the dread of being called great. It's the wish to help and the dread of thanks. It's the love of service and the distaste for rule. It's trying to be good and blushing when called at it. What's another part of humility? It's being willing to play second fiddle. Not to be the top of the pack, being willing to play second fiddle. Good example of that is a guy in the New Testament, the Book of Acts, called Barnabas. You know his real name was actually uh, not Barnabas, but Joseph. Barnabas was a nickname, and he was nicknamed Barnabas because it meant "son of encouragement," because this guy encouraged everybody. That was his heart. He was all about encouraging people, all about strengthening the people around him. And, and you know, it's great. You know, it talks about he sold the land, he distributed it to God's people, you know, where there was need, and, and he led by example. And, and you know, and then there was this guy, Paul, and, you know, he'd had this amazing conversion, but everybody looked at Paul and like, hey, this was the guy that was putting all our friends in jail, and this was the guy that, you know, he was a troublemaker. Wow, you know, he'd be like, a, a, you know, a Hitler. that We would think of, you know, just the worst of the worst. And here Barnabas comes along and says, you know, God's got a hold of him. Let's give him a chance. But people were like, I don't think so, Barnabas. I don't know about that. But he kept believing in Paul as he was with Paul and as he stood by Paul. He was that encourager. And then it was interesting, as you as you go through the book of Acts, it, it says Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And, and then, then it, it went to Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, and finally it went to Paul. But you don't read about Barnabas... Complaining about that. Or, hey, why am I not getting the attention? You know, I'm the guy that first recommended you, Paul. Why am I not? That, that wasn't his heart. Because he was humble. And even as you find him, you know, in here, uh, when he and Paul split, it was over a guy that he wanted to have a second chance. And, of course, it's beautiful because years later, Paul said, where is John Mark? I, I need his help. Although there was a split. So Barnabas was willing to be an encourager, and he showed humility. Now, the second fiddle, uh, Leonard Bernstein, the famous orchestra conductor, guy came to him and he said, what is the most difficult instrument to play? And here's his response. Second fiddle. He said, I get plenty of first violinists, but no one who plays second violin with enthusiasm or the second French horn or the second flute, that's a problem. He says, and if no one plays second, we have no harmony that interesting? No harmony. Harmony comes not from just the first fiddle, but from the second fiddle and those who play not in the position that's seen and looked up to. Um, and praise God for his people who are willing to be humble and are willing to serve. I just close here with just a bunch of verses and a couple of comments. I kind of thought like Dale when he was talking the other night about forgiveness, he just let the scripture speak. Well, Let me just share some scriptures uh, with, with humility. Matthew 23, 12. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy... I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's God. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart O God you will not despise. God welcomes a contrite heart. Isaiah 66, verse 2. Uh, it's actually the second part of that verse. This one's always kind of intrigued me. God talking here. This is the one I esteem. Now, who's the one God says? This This is the one I, I think's really, you know, kind of up here. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And I think about that sometimes. Uh, I'm not just talking to you guys. I'm talking about me. How often do we really tremble at his word? Do our knees knock? When we think about his word. Uh, James three thirteen. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And then, of course, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, which talks about Jesus. Our ultimate example and how he was the most humble of all. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He emptied himself. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, which means to make himself low, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The one who deserves the crown took the cross, humility, as he showed true humility. Uh, I close with this quote from Augustine or Augustine I've heard it pronounced both ways. Um, here's what he wrote about humility. Should you ask me, what is the first thing in religion? I should reply, the first, second, and third thing therein, they all, is humility. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. As we've taken time to look at this area of humility, Father, may we ask ourselves, why do I do this? Who am I? What is my call? Why am I here? Father, all these things should lead us to you and bring us to a position on our knees, a place of humility, because the truth is without you, we are nothing. Father, uh, as we come to this, as we prepare to sing, help us. Father, may we do a heart check, Lord, and just do business with you where we are. Maybe there's a need to come to the altar. I don't know. Maybe there's a need to share before your people publicly. But, Father, I want us to be able to, Father, look at this area and uh, let you do business. In Christ's name we pray.